Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Speaking of the pandemic, scientists may have found the first human link between antibodies and coronavirus protection. What does that mean? Let's bring in Dr. Tim Evans, Executive Director of the COVID-19 Immunity Task Force, uh, also the Director of McGill's School of Population and Global Health in the Faculty of Medicine uh, at McGill and is with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Uh, as soon as we get this far into the weeds, it starts to become complicated. Talk about the, the link between antibodies, why this is an important direction to be going in. Uh, this is important because we know that uh, anybody who's been infected with uh, the novel coronavirus uh, is uh, likely to have developed uh, an immune response. Uh, but uh, thus far, we're not sure whether that immune response actually protects you from infection uh, or reinfection. And uh, so uh, we're, we're very interested uh, to, to look at studies that are now showing that, uh, in fact, that immune response protects you from infection. And uh, the study we saw yesterday emerging from Seattle uh, suggests that, uh, uh, indeed, this may be the case. So do in situations like this with coronaviruses or influenza or whatever, uh, do these antibodies normally protect people? What's the difference here? Um, Well, the the difference here is we have a new virus that we've never seen before. And so um, uh, the the reality is we don't know. Um, And uh, for some diseases, um, the development of an antibody uh, does protect you, uh, and for others, um, it may not. And so uh, this is why uh, one can't be sure, uh, and one has to have studies which, like this one, which show uh, people who uh, prior to exposure had evidence of an antibody uh, to the novel coronavirus, and then after the exposure, uh, that they didn't develop an infection. So this is the sort of uh, evidence that we need to understand the nature of the immune response for this novel coronavirus. So would this be people who have come in contact in some way with the coronavirus, but instead of coming down with the illness, they have produced antibodies? It could be either. It could be people who uh, got sick and recovered and have developed antibodies, or it could be people, uh, and we have a lot of these people in the context of the novel coronavirus, people who have been infected but not really known that they were, uh, that they were infected because they didn't experience many symptoms. But nevertheless, when you test their blood, uh, they show that they've uh, they've um, um, developed an immune response because you can measure circulating antibodies in their blood. Uh, and, uh, and so it could be either. Uh, and the fact is, is that three people on this boat where uh, virtually everybody became infected, about 85% of people got infected, uh, these three individuals who had antibodies prior to getting on the boat uh, didn't get infected uh, during uh, uh, the period that they were on the boat and 85% of the other individuals who didn't have antibodies uh, did get infected. How much of this uh, will aid in uh, the search for a vaccination? Are these, does this, uh, does the study of antibodies, is this all part of that vaccination process? It is. And, and this is encouraging because it suggests that if you can provoke uh, 
uh, as you do with a, a vaccine, um, an antibody response, um, it suggests that you may be not only pre- uh, producing the antibody response, but that that antibody response may protect you from uh, infection or from reinfection. And so this suggests, um, you know, and again, it's a very small study in terms of the number of individuals, but it's encouraging evidence uh, that um, uh, these uh, antibodies that are generated after uh, exposure to the novel corona- coronavirus, that, those, that these antibodies may protect you uh, from infection. So it's very encouraging evidence. How much study is being done into the people that have had this and then recovered? Because they would be, they would have antibodies, these antibodies in their system, no? Great question and a lot of work right now. So we have in the first, after the first wave of infection, we have uh, thousands of, uh, of people in Canada who were infected uh, and many of them are enrolled in studies that are looking over time Right, we'll follow them out over the next month um, to find out whether, in fact, um, uh, they're at risk to uh, reinfection. Uh, so those studies are ongoing, um, and the humbling reality of them uh, is it takes time before uh, you know whether those uh, the immune responses that they've generated are in fact protective, because they'll have to be re-exposed uh, at some point in time and. Uh, uh, who knows when that will be? Is this so complicated? This search uh, so complicated because this started as an animal virus? Uh, no, that, well, it, 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 that's part of it, but it, it, it's really that it's a new virus. It's a virus that we haven't seen before, uh, and uh, it has relations. Uh, it's part of the coronavirus family, but it's clearly a new, a novel coronavirus. Uh, and therefore, um, uh, we're uh, in so insofar as we're dealing with a, a new virus, um, uh, and especially this one, um, because it, it, its behavior is something that uh, uh, no one has seen before. And, and just to give you an example of that, for example, is that um, you know many people can get infected and show no symptoms whatsoever. Um, that's not our usual experience with uh, um, a virus like this. Uh, and so um, these are things that have, uh, uh, you know, one of many, that's one of many things, but uh, which have uh, made this new virus uh, one that's been perplexing on many fronts and one that has uh, made a lot of the science community very humble with respect to uh, making uh, assertions with respect to how it, uh, how it will behave. Dr. Tim Evans has been with us, Executive Director of the COVID-19 Immunity Task Force, Associate Dean and Director of McGill's School of Population and Global Health in the Faculty of Medicine at McGill. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Take care. Thanks for having me. Bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A fascinating story, bizarre story in a world of uh, Airbnb and rentals and all of that sort of thing. A bizarre story uh, coming out of Toronto about uh, landlords, uh, 11, trying to evict one tenant 
uh, from each of their uh, homes. Apparently what has happened here uh, is a home has been rented uh, by a person and then that person in turn, uh, I guess, sublets it, rents it out as a rooming house and literally uh, fills it with people. And for some reason, it's impossible uh, to get all of this corrected and those people out. Uh, to talk more about all of this, Karima Saad is with us, lawyer and on the line now. Karima, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This is such a bizarre story because it seems like the person involved here who owned the home did the due diligence, checked everything out, and yet uh, I guess all of these references or names in this case were, were falsified. How often does this sort of thing happen? I think on this scale, um, I can't say I, I've heard of anything quite like this before, um, but it's not entirely uncommon or unheard of for um, tenants to provide maybe incorrect or incomplete information on their rental applications. So even where a landlord thinks they've done their diligence, um, it turns out you know they, they haven't. So explain the situation. A person rents out a house and then ends up turning that into uh, a rooming house, filling it with people. How can this happen? How is this legal? Well, it's not legal um, is, is really the, the first thing to mention. Um, if someone were to rent a house and decide that they want to have a bunch of roommates, that's one thing. Um, but rooming houses and presumably the, the tenant on the lease here wasn't actually residing in the property. I don't think he can be living 11 places at once. Um, with rooming houses, there are specific designations and um, very specific fire code requirements. So I, I think ultimately what happened here um, is, is the fire department investigated and issued some orders, and that ultimately, um, at least in one of the instances, was the basis for eviction. So it's not allowed, um, but but you know we see how it, it is possible to happen. So uh, it was a fire code violation that ended up uh, shutting the one situation down. Um, but why can't the owner evict the tenant and then the people in there? Well, the, the owner ought to be able. Um, the question uh, that I don't have an answer to is, what attempts were made, what forms were used, um, because there is a process for landlords to remove unauthorized occupants. Um, so that can happen uh, in, in a variety of situations, including where the leaseholder moves out and maybe their roommate stays on and sort of the unit gets passed on um, in informal channels and the the landlord catches wind and, and decides to take action against the unauthorized occupant. Um, there, there are also, um, you know, it, it applies where a unit has been illegally subletted or assigned. And that would be the case here, would it not? Would uh, I guess the point that I'm making is why is this even a story? You would think as soon as anybody got wind of this, they would be immediately closed down. You would think. Um, and, you know, the, the other striking aspect is, uh, 11 properties, that is a lot of properties. And the sense I got, um, again, from, from what I know about the situation, uh, is that landlords weren't actually able to adduce evidence of this happening in other places. So the case was really treated in a silo. Um, and, and I think that maybe is either what emboldened or at least what allowed this to carry on as long as it has. So is this person working a loophole or is this just fraudulent? 
I, I mean, from from my vantage point, I think this is straight up fraud. Um, again, considering the the number of, of properties in question um, and kind of the pattern of behavior here. Um, there are other instances where tenants may sublet um, and it's not strictly within the parameters of, of the legislation or the lease, um, but the motive is a lot less or, or appears to be a lot less nefarious. Is this just life in an Airbnb type world? I, I, I mean, it's life in a world where it's very difficult um, to secure a rental. Um, so obviously this person was able to do it 11 times over, um, but um, particularly for the the demographic that, that ends up in rooming houses. So we're talking students, in particular international students, um, people who may not have the means to, to have their own unit um, but can afford a room in a house. Um, these are typically more uh, mul- marginalized or, or vulnerable individuals. And so that there's perhaps a sense of, of desperation um, and um, opportunity for someone to capitalize on, on the need for, for folks to have housing. Um, so there is this mismatch and um, I would say an imbalance in supply and demand that, that creates um, sort of the, the landscape that allows this thing to happen. What advice do you have, Karima, for uh, both owners who are renting and those that are, that are renters? Um, uh, for the owners, I would say, you know, getting a, a piece of ID um, is is a good idea right at the outset. Um, you know, filling out a form is one thing, but um, people can misrepresent themselves uh, in, in that way. So, so requesting a piece of ID and ensuring that you meet your privacy obligations with respect to that storage and it's not used improperly, um, that, that's one option. Um, and for the part of, of renters, um, it, you know, it can be a little bit trickier, um, but doing your diligence and, and keeping as much as possible in writing, because in the event um, that, that you do get duped and, and you're, who you think is your landlord is actually a tenant and, you know, the, the whole arrangement is illegitimate, um, the more you have in writing to show that this person presented themselves as the landlord and put themselves out in that way, um, the more lenience um, you're, you're likely to get from the board. Wow, this is bizarre. Uh, Karima Saad has been with his lawyer uh, in a bizarre story coming out of Toronto about 11 landlords trying to evict one tenant from each of their homes who are who is then subletting the home as a rooming house. Karima, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. You, you too. Have a great weekend. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.